0: covering all aspects of milwaukee brewers baseball it's time for brewers extra innings the podcast here is your host matt Pauley. it is time for another edition of brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile my name is matt paulie great to have you with us my apologies to you this podcast comes out sunday night into monday morning and once again, this week it is coming out Monday night into Tuesday morning. I do not like delaying the podcast. I like having it for you available first thing Monday morning, so you can have the routine of it. I think I've only uh, delayed it a couple times uh, in the entire existence of the podcast until the last couple weeks, and now I think two of the last three weeks. So please accept my apologies. Uh, just other things kind of happen. Uh, lots of travel recently with uh, one of my side gigs uh, during the baseball season working as the broadcaster for the uh, Green Bay women's basketball team. We had a uh, tough trip this past weekend out east where we were in uh, Bangor, Maine, and also Poughkeepsie, New York, and it just stuff all kind of happened, and all of a sudden, it's the next day, and the podcast is not uh, completely finished. So I will try to do better for you moving forward. Now, I will say this. This is the second time where we have delayed the release of the podcast, and something has happened on Monday that has been very noteworthy, so it benefits you maybe the same way it did the last time uh, that we are able to talk about the news of the day from Monday. I don't know, maybe we should move the podcast through Monday going into Tuesday. That would be a lot tougher, though, during the baseball season. We do it on Sunday night because generally games are played uh, on aftern- are played pretty consistently in the afternoon on Monday. Sunday, So that's why we created the schedule of putting it out on uh, Sunday nights because we would have a little bit of time after the Brewers had played a uh, day game. Although with all the Sunday night games this upcoming year, that's uh, at least uh, through the first, uh, what, six weeks of the season, that's going to create some challenges as well. But I'll worry about that. You don't have to uh, worry about that. Uh, We'll take care of our uh, normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you do want to leave a ranking and review, you can do so. But if you listen on Apple Podcasts, uh, also, if you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so: find me on Twitter at matt pauley on air, m a t t p a u l e y on air. And a special hello to the people who are listening on the uh, Pod Center, the Doug Russell Pod Center on 540 ESPN, WTMJ sister station, every day from three o'clock to six o'clock. Doug Russell puts together kind of a best of, and somehow this podcast gets there—a best of of uh, sports-related content uh, locally from both. ESPN, and also what's going on uh, at WTMJ, and this certainly counts as that. Uh, Adam Rigg, the Brewer Nation, he is going to join us. Now let me say this, because uh, the news of the day on Monday was the official signing of uh, uh, Avisail Garcia. I want to make sure to get that right. Avisail Garcia, I believe that is how you uh, say it. Jim Goulart, who is a normal... Uh, podcast guest here on the podcast has mentioned lately that some of the newer brewers have not been getting their names pronounced correctly, and that is actually one of my pet peeves as well. I take a lot of pride in making sure to pronounce guys' names correctly, Avisail Garcia is how I believe it is pronounced, and I will try to do Jim Goulart right and continue to pronounce it that way uh, moving forward. But that's uh, the the news of the day is uh, that he has come to an agreement with the Brewers. There had been an initial report a uh, few late last week that that was going to happen. And then a report from uh, MLB Network's John Heyman along with the Tampa Bay Times and ESPN saying that uh, the Brewers agreed to sign Garcia for twenty year, or two years and $20 million. Twenty years and $2 million would be a long contract but would be a very low annual average value. Two years and $20 million is what I'm trying to say, and that is according uh, to the report. So it's been interesting last week with what has happened with the Brewers. And by the way, so – uh, our feature interview is going to be with Adam Rigg, the Brewer Nation. We did do that interview on Sunday night, and we so the the content is already a tad bit outdated in the sense that uh, we did not know for sure that Garcia was going to sign with the Brewers when uh, that conversation took place. So just keep that in the back of your mind as you do continue to uh, listen to this podcast. But this past week, uh, they had Brett Anderson. Brett Anderson will be uh, 32 this upcoming season. Coming off a really, really good year uh, at with Oakland, where he was 13-9 and with a 3.89 ERA. The concern with him is injuries. If he is healthy, he's pretty good. He also kind of joked around, and I thought it was funny, that the arc of his career, he has kind of pitched against the trend of the time. So when he first was coming up, he was a guy who was thrown high in the zone. He was striking out a little bit more. Uh, and as his career has moved forward... He's kind of changed, where now he's pitching a little bit lower in the zone. He's pitching to contact. He's not striking a lot of guys out. And now we're in a period in baseball where the trendy thing to do is to have the guy who does pitch high in the zone and the guy who does come up with strikeouts. It's kind of funny how uh, he mentioned in his career he kind of goes against the grain. We've talked about this a lot. In fact, we've talked about this a lot with Brad Ford when we've talked about minor league guys. Um, The Brewers seem to look at the trends in baseball, and sometimes go find the best of the best who do things different. And I don't know if this really – this doesn't really apply to Brett Anderson uh, because he's a veteran guy, and it just doesn't. But it's it's worth noting here while we're talking about a guy who has sort of the the pitching profile of an Anderson. Seems like the Brewers take advantage of the market where if everybody in baseball is looking at guys with this skill set – will then look at the guys who have a different skill set and get the best of the best of that group, and you can probably get it at a pretty solid value because everybody in baseball is looking the other way, if that makes sense. Again, that's not directly applied to Brett Anderson, but the point being is Anderson does not look like what kind of the – the way a lot of pitchers are looking right now in baseball. And you know what? That's okay. Brent Suter doesn't look like a lot of the guys that are in baseball. That's okay. Josh Hader, in a, kind of in a different way just because of what he does, and not so much this past year when he was more in a conventional closers role, but coming up and when he was so dominant a couple of years ago, He did things a a little bit differently, right? So it's okay to get guys who do things one way or another uh, a little bit different. Speaking of a little bit different, a little bit different path to uh, Major League Baseball is certainly the one that uh, Josh Lindblom took, or I probably should say return to uh, Major League Baseball because he was there before. He went over to uh, the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, was really, really good. Uh, this past year, he won the KBO MVP. He was a two-time winner of what basically is the, that league's version of the Cy Young Award. Signed a three-year contract with the Brewers. It's a little bit more than $9 million. It can about double based off uh, incentives. He was officially introduced on Monday. Got to put on the New Jersey and uh, everything. And it seems like he's excited about this. and. You never really know what you're going to get with guys who are coming over from the KBO, especially from a pitching standpoint, because who they're facing is not who they're going to be facing in Major League Baseball. Now look, if you've got a great pitching repertoire that's going to play at the Major League level, clearly it's also going to play in Korea. And sometimes it's sort of hard to figure out whether or not what this person is doing if it's only effective because of who they're going against, or if you put this person into Major League Baseball, they would be able to be effective. Uh, he's got a profile that says he's got some. He's got the opportunity to be successful uh, in in Major League Baseball, and it's a it's an interesting signing for the Brewers. We'll see what ends up happening. It is a multi year commitment. I mean, they wouldn't give him three years if they did not think that this is somebody who's going to be able to have um, at least some success. I guess there's always a chance that if it doesn't work out as a starter, he could go to uh, relief, but right now he is viewed as a starter as far as uh, I can see. And then what we mentioned just a few moments ago, the two-year deal with Avi Sahil Garcia. Uh, He comes in. He is an outfielder. That is where he is going to play. He has been an outfielder and a DH over the course of his career. Now, in his career, he has played all three outfield spots, He was with uh, Tampa Bay last season, and he played a little bit of right field, played a little bit of center field. The last time he played left field was in uh, 2016. But this creates some options for uh, the Brewers. Obviously, uh, it does something where you can put him in the outfield, give Ryan Braun a day off, or also play Braun at first base. You get the sense that Braun's going to play some first this upcoming season. Uh, Craig Council has been on record saying he's not going to be the first baseman in the sense that he's going to be an everyday first baseman, but he can play some first base, and uh, so this doesn't completely answer the corner infield question, which right now, after the signings of the two pitchers this past week, corner infield remains the biggest question mark for this team, but it answers a little bit of it because it does give you the flexibility to be able to put a Ryan Braun at first base at times. Uh, there seems to continue to be some interest in uh, bringing an Eric Thames back to uh, the Brewers. I think that would make a whole lot of sense if they can come together on, a, on financial terms that each side is happy with. Um, and But this this is a pretty solid signing. You look at what he has done over the course of his uh, career. Last year with uh, Tampa Bay, he uh, hit two eighty two, He had 20 home runs, 72 RBIs, OPS at seven ninety six. That's okay. I mean, it's nothing to write home about. His best OPS season was in 2017 with the White Sox when he was an All-Star. Had an eight eighty five OPS that year, 18 home runs, 80 RBIs. Had 27 doubles, 5 triples uh, that year. Uh, so, and I mentioned left, he, you know, I mentioned that he hasn't played left field in a number of years. He only has uh, 16 games at left field in his career. So he's somebody who's played a whole lot of center field and uh, mainly right field of the of his outfield starts over the course of his career. He's had 642 outfield starts. 592 of them have been in right field, then 45 in center, and 16 in left fielder. Maybe those aren't starts. Maybe those are appearances. Either way, you get the sense Uh, he's mainly a right fielder. So in those days that Ryan Braun gets a day off, Yelich is moving from right to left and you're putting um you're you're putting him Garcia in right field. That's what you would think would be happening. Again, it's a lot of time to opening day so we can figure all that stuff coming up uh, later on. So that kind of gives you a th- those are my thoughts on what has happened here over the course of last week. Brewers continue to be uh, fairly active. I know Brewers fans want The Brewers to make that big splash, whether it's a Josh Donaldson, whether it's a trade that we're not expecting, whatever it might be, Brewers fans are hoping for a big splash. Maybe that's still coming. Maybe it's not. We don't really have an answer to that right now, but the Brewers are being active and uh, certainly – uh, entertaining to see the way things are going, so with that let's get to our conversation with Adam Rigg, the Brewer Nation uh once again, we recorded this interview on Sunday night. He stayed up late as I got back in the close to the mill the night off a trip for to do the interview and then we don't even release the podcast till a day later so adam's a a great sport, and I appreciate him uh staying up to do the interview on Sunday night, even though that we uh published the podcast a day later that's how it works this week it's time uh, to uh time to talk with uh, adam here on brewers extrins podcast powered by wtmj mobile after every brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now brewers extrins the podcast is powered by wtmj mobile very happy right now to uh, bring back onto the podcast adam rigg you know him on twitter as the brewer nation or just brewer nation on twitter adam good to have you on how are you
1: matthew uh i'm doing well Uh, i got over my first cold of the season uh and you know doing all right here hoping that the winter meetings lead into some good stuff for the brew crew
0: let's uh let's jump in with the two moves that were made over the course of uh the last week they bring in brett anderson it's a one-year deal Had a pretty good season last year with Oakland. He is not exactly the type of player that uh, the folks who are all into analytics like. He doesn't throw hard. He pitches to contact. He doesn't strike guys out, but he finds a way. What did you think about the deal for Brett Anderson?
1: It feels like a a guy that Stearns has targeted in the past for sure, I'll start there, you know is a guy who, like I said, is coming off a pretty good year, he's a guy that is affordable um, and and somehow, uh, still only 31 years old, Brett Anderson is the type of guy, he's one of those guys where you know there's some guys that you think are left-handed and end up being right-handed or vice versa Brett Anderson is the type of guy who I swear is 35, 36 years old every year and he's never actually that old Uh, But so he kind of falls in that age range that Stearns seems to like to play with, and you know he likes to stay away from the guys that are, you know, mid thirties and older, of course, as analytics kind of tell people that they should do these days. Um, But other than that, you know, he's got the the repertoire that can play up in Miller Park. He's got he's an extreme ground ball guy when he's going well. He was healthy last year. He's had some injury issues in the past and back surgeries that are well documented for people that want to do a little research on their own with the Google machine, but. You know, he, he's an effective pitcher when he's healthy enough to be on the mound, I think. So uh, you get a guy like that in on a relatively inexpensive deal, almost almost a make-good deal in a way, because it is, like you said, a one-year contract. And, you know, it feels like this is the type of guy who can hopefully, you know, all things, you know, health being what it is, knock on wood, but I, it seems like a guy who can give the Brewers some quality innings, Uh, can be a guy who goes deep into games they haven't had some of those guys too often over the course of the last couple of years here especially when they've been in this contention window that can really consistently eat up six plus innings of work and Anderson seems like a guy who every fifth day should be able to give your bullpen a little bit of a break so that might be a nice change as well
0: Are you concerned about his uh, health inconsistencies throughout his career?
1: (sighs) it's always there I think until a guy has a consistent run of health you I think it's always kind of in the back of your mind he says that he's healthy David Stern said that he's healthy after the deal was done those back surgeries that I mentioned are a few years ago in the past and he did have a fully healthy season last year uh, from everything that I was reading about after the deal went down so again I I think you can't completely discount it You, you have to know the situation that you're getting into but for now you know let's see how he goes he's healthy enough by all accounts so i guess i'm willing to to let it ride until it proves otherwise
0: okay so we know who brett anderson is i think the only question is about potential injuries but we know who he is we don't totally know who Josh Lindblom is, because this is somebody who has been pitching in Korea. He gets a three-year deal worth just over $9 million. He was incredible in Korea, but he's also not facing the caliber of hitters that he's going to be facing in Major League Baseball. You never really know what happens when these guys leave the U.S. You know, Eric Thames is a good example, because he came back as a different guy than he left as. Uh, it's a... There, there's some guys you, know, you look at, uh, like a Miles Michaelis, who came who came over after playing internationally and immediately had success. There's other guys who come over after uh, playing, whether it's in Japan, Korea, wherever it might be, and they end up at AAA. So you don't really know what to expect. What did you think about the Bloom deal?
1: I think it's. Uh, I don't want to say it's inspired because everybody kind of scouts internationally these days, and we know that the Brewers are. Well versed in scouting, especially the Korean League, but also the Japanese League over there. So I think it's, but it's a smart option. I think it's a, a risk worth taking. I don't know that Josh Lindblom is going to come in and, and be some kind of Major League Baseball ace. I, I, he's certainly not being paid as such. Uh, but he's a guy who showed what he can do against extremely adept contact type hitters in the KBO. Uh, for the most part obviously there's you know little uh, variations here and there for everybody but a lot of those guys are very good bat to ball skill hitters uh, if you can translate the success of that league pitching to you know miss more bats here or at least, induce weak contact for guys that are very good at making contact uh, then especially in the environment that Major League Baseball finds it in now regardless of what may or may not happen with the baseball coming into next year this is still a league where a lot of guys swing for the fence and a lot of guys miss the ball with uh, alarming frequency so if you've got a guy in Lindblom who's if you look at the numbers, I mean, my goodness, what was he last year? Twenty and three, <laughs> won their version of the Cy Young Award, MVP of the league, honors, just an amazing season. I want to see he had one hundred and seventy something strikeouts and well, however many innings he put up. Uh, it's just he was so good over there doing all that, that I think that's going to translate. Fairly well, um, like you said, it's not the caliber of hitter. A lot of people consider the KBO, especially on the hit offensive side, to kind of be like Double A plus, kind of like a mid between Double A, Triple A, Major League Baseball type competition level. So it's not going to be a direct correlation. You know, Josh Lindblom's not going to come in here and be Garrett Cole, but like like I'm saying, if if he can do, if you can approximate some of that success, if you can capitalize on the skills that he's developed over there, it's going to be a very good ad for the Brewers, especially at that price. And if he makes all of the incentives that were reported on that contract, fantastic, because then he's he's doing well for himself, he's doing well for the Brewers, and everybody kind of wins. So, like you mentioned Eric Thames, I'll say this real quick, that, you know, Thames, he left America and, and North American baseball with a certain amount of swing and miss in his game and a certain amount of, you know, the way he approached Hitting and the way he approached trying to hit major league pitching was a certain way. And he went, again, to a place where they're very adept at uh, pitching with off-speed pitches. So uh, Eric Thames adjusted his approach. He got much better at hitting off-speed pitchers, which helped him come back to America and handle velocity, but be able to read, react, and adjust to breaking stuff and off-speed stuff. So that's what I think spurned his You know, career rebirth, so to speak, with the Brewers and led to, again, not otherworldly MVP type success like he had in Korea, but, uh, you know, a certain amount of professional success at the major league level that was certainly more than adequate over these last couple of years.
0: What's what do you think is the ceiling Lynn Bloom, I know I mentioned Miles Michaelis earlier, and I'm not talking about comparing them from the way they pitch, but more from a result standpoint. Is is that sort of the ceiling? Is that what you think maybe the most you can get out of a guy who comes over from Korea? Um,
1: you know, I suppose I don't know exactly where to put his ceiling that way i I wouldn't consider myself very uh adept at at translating uh stat lines that way you know i read guys that do that kind of work you know the my kbo uh, twitter uh danzen has got a calculation that he does that kind of tries to approximate the way that leagues will translate to the next level Uh, so i try to read that kind of stuff and educate myself that way but you know as far as the ceiling goes i would think that if the brewers find themselves with a guy who's you know winning double digit games and i know the win is a horrible metric but if he's if he's allowing himself to pitch well enough that he is getting those wins uh, i think that still tells you a little bit about the way he was pitching in those games so but if the team can win more than half of his starts um if he's able to keep his era in this homer happy era uh if he's able to keep his era you know around that three and a half to under four mark i think there's he's doing much better than you know you could hope for coming back from the situation that he was in so you know I think the counting stats will be there if he's healthy. Um, I think that his rate stats, that's where you're really going to see the differences in the competition level. And hopefully – I don't know how to put the numbers on it exactly, and that's, that's my shortcoming. But if he's able, like I said, to help the team win more often than he doesn't, uh, if he keeps them in games long, if he's able to – he's got plenty of length as a starting pitcher. He was relieving, of course, in his time – his previous time in the major leagues. Uh, he was only a reliever. I think he started one game that whole that whole stretch. But if he's able to you know, give the Brewers some of that length and, again, help the bullpen stay a little bit fresher – Uh, You know, that's really what you're looking for. You kind of want the performance of a three. I think you'd be happy. But so long as he's contributing and not hurting the team more often than not, then especially at that price, I think that's a win for uh, the Bruce front office.
0: We both know David Stearns. If an opportunity arises that makes sense, he'll take advantage of it. But that being said, do you think – the, the, the big acquisitions in terms of starting pitching, are, are they comfortable with where they're at right now at starting pitching where maybe they need to start focusing on some other things?
1: I, I think they think that they're comfortable enough. Um, I still think that they have faith in Freddie Peralta to mix into the starting rotation, especially, uh, again, competition level uh, under consideration here. But what he's been able to do in his winter league play has just been fantastic so far. Uh, He's got that third pitch working for himself now. If he's able to translate that to the big leagues, that could be a big deal. Um, I think they still believe in Corbin Burns as a starting pitcher. We'll see how they come to camp that way, uh, whether or not he's primarily in the bullpen or not. So I think they believe that they've got some depth there. I think that you have to have yourself some depth there if you're going to be comfortable with Brett Anderson being one of your uh, top five starters, just, again, in case the worst-case scenario happens. Um, but I think if there's a, a situation where they can add another guy at a reasonable price, David Stearns is always going to be open to that kind of a thing. I don't think he's going to hate having to start a guy like Freddie Peralta, for example, at AAA San Antonio, if he's able to bring a guy in, say Dallas Keiko, for an example, uh, on a reasonable deal for a short enough term at, you know, that he's going to be comfortable with offering to a guy at that age, that skill level, et cetera. So again, I think Stearns always has his eyes open and his mind open, but like you said, the core of your question, I do think that with where they are, with where they are right now, if the season started tomorrow, as the euphemism I kind of like to go with throughout the off season, but if it did, they've got enough starting pitching to start playing the season. They are lacking in those other areas, certain other areas, especially corner infield. Uh, they really do need to spend some time and attention and hopefully some dollars on those spots. Um, Whether or not they make a trade or not, we'll see. But there are good free agent options still out there. Um, And, again, if you can commit a couple of years at however much dollars it ends up being, I think that's kind of where David Stearns would like to play as opposed to giving up prospects for a trade or having to go four or five years on an aging veteran, you know, that kind of a deal. So I I do think, like you said, they need to start paying attention to some of those other spots.
0: You mentioned the the third pitch for Freddie Peralta and – I've always thought that he profiled out as a much better relief pitcher than a starter because he was basically a two-pitch guy. I'll back off that if he's throwing a third pitch and it's a, it's a major league caliber pitch. That's what's really holding him back, uh, in, in my opinion. I've always thought that he had the highest ceiling of any starting pitcher for the Brewers. Unfortunately, consistency issues were there, and I thought it was connected to uh, the number of pitches. How big of a development could it potentially be that he is working on that third pitch?
1: oh I think it I think it could be massive um you know Freddie he debuted with that amazing game in Colorado and it was what ninety five percent fastballs I think was what the final tally was somewhere around there up you know ninety and above, but it was just so many fastballs and he just spotted it everywhere uh he hides it well, he blew it by Colorado hitters they just weren't prepared for it and Throughout his first run through the league, you know he's one of those guys where it played up. You know he he did have some command and control issues, like you mentioned, and that obviously bites him when he starts walking guys. He's one of those pitchers, at least so far. It's you see what he's got pretty early on in an outing, whether or not he's going to be wild. There have been a couple of times where he's wild early, settles in that kind of a thing, of course. But again, that's youth and like you mentioned, inconsistency. So I think that. It's it's there for him for the taking, especially though if he adds that third pitch, then what it truly does is allows him to work better to both sides of the uh, both-handed hitters, you know, guys on both sides of the plate, and it can help guys stay off of that fastball even more. If they don't know what's coming, if they don't see the hump of that curveball, you know, if they see fastball arm movement and it ends up, you know, being about seven, eight miles an hour slower, however, however much slower a changeup could be. I mean, he's got the potential to really be dynamic. And, you know, like you said, most guys with two pitches, especially if they're plus pitches, they end up high-leverage relievers. Uh, If a guy can have that third pitch to help him get through a lineup more than once, more than twice, that's really what you're looking for out of a starting pitcher. And Anybody can be built up, well, most anybody can be built up stamina-wise to start Major League Baseball games if they're a pitcher. It's about having enough stuff and enough control of that stuff to make it through the lineup a couple of times that allows them to stay as a starting pitcher and actually work that way. So if Freddie Peralta is able to do that, is he's able to help himself out to get to that point where he's able to work, you know, not just into a lineup and keep guys off of this fastball, but he's able to, you know, mix and match and, and show some guys some different things, you know, that second and third time through um, the Brewers really could have, what they hope they have this last year, you know, in that 2019, they really might have that in 2020 if he's able to refine that pitch that he's been working on, um, or, you know, more thoroughly it seems like here in the winter leagues. Um, if he's able to do that and bring that to spring training and have it show the way it's been showing, uh, I mean, that can be a, the world of difference for the Brewers.
0: You mentioned the corner infield. We really don't know who's going to be – At third base, we don't know who's going to be at first base. It seems like Ryan Braun's going to play at least a little bit of first base, but at the winter meetings, Craig Council said he's not going to be the primary uh, first baseman. what's your expectation on how long this is going to play out i mean clearly there's still a lot of time and there's guys out there but i think most people listening to this podcast right now would much prefer they'd probably prefer that something happens before i even press the publish button on this podcast yeah. and this conversation becomes uh, irrelevant i mean that's the people want the move to be made asap
1: Right. No, I I agree. Everybody wants action now. Who wants something to talk about, something to to dissect? I think even there is uh, a group of people out there that would rather be upset by something that happens just so that something happens. Um, personally, I'd like to wait and make the right moves, but you know that's just me. Um, no, with 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 the corner infield, I I hate to say it, but it seems like the outfield situation maybe will determine some of that. Um, Of course, the rumors that have been going on all weekend about Avicel Garcia, um, who was with the Rays, if they were to bring in him or even, I think it was during the winter meetings, maybe it was just before the winter meetings, there was rumors that they were interested in Cole Calhoun, again, corner outfield type. So if they're looking at those types of players, and if they land one of those types of players, it might be to be a primary outfielder with Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich in a, different configuration. Yeah, Braun could play the soft side of a platoon at first base, play a little bit in the outfield still, keep his bat in the lineup because as we all know, when Braun is healthy, Braun hits, and that's a bat that you want to be able to utilize, uh, keep healthy and capitalize upon when he is healthy. So if you're able to do that with let's call it load management since we're in the NBA season, uh, if you want to do it that way, great. You know, you get yourself a guy, say it's Garcia just for the sake of argument, the guy's got a great right field arm uh, he's fast. He covers a lot of ground, especially for his size. He's, he's deceptively fast, if you look at him. Um, decent contact hitter. Has a carries a pretty good batting average when he has a good season. And he had, I think, 24 home runs it was last year, uh, which is a career high. And he's 28 years old, if I'm remembering correctly. So he could just be coming into some of those prime years still. And you might get good production for him out of a couple of years, depending on, again, what type of contract might be being negotiated. But I think the focus on finally, or I should say, finding a potentially another corner outfield type could be to help solve some of that situation. Again, like you said, Council mentioned Braun will not be the first baseman, but the fact that he will probably play there some, I think, is a thinly veiled secret at this point. And if they need to find somebody, to platoon with him, uh, again, Eric Thames is out there. They've talked about maybe bringing him back at a cheaper price. Uh, there are left-handed bat options out there. Mitch Moreland, for example. And, you know, some of these guys that are, can play a capable first base defensively. Um, be the big side of a platoon. And then again, maybe your main focus ends up being third base. How you can improve there offensively. Uh, obviously, you need somebody good defensively over there, like Mustakis has been for the last couple of seasons uh, when he's been playing a third. But it all kind of ties together, I guess is the point that I'm trying to make in that. Yeah. We could probably solve, uh, the, the corner field spots with just throwing money at it. As I know fans have been saying, uh, why not just spend all the money? There's Josh Donaldson. Give him that fourth year. Who cares? And Find some first baseman. Uh, Justin Smoke it shouldn't be out in the field. Who cares? He can hit a little bit. Give him some money. Uh, or Mitch like I said, or whoever. You know, you just throw some people in there. Uh, spend the money. Uh, just spend money somewhere and solve it that way. But I think, again, it all kind of ties together. They don't want to commit. To some first baseman that they might overpay to come to Milwaukee, uh, if they are going to get a corner outfield type, if they're able to get a corner outfield type that they like, and then have Braun, you know, be available or maybe even be needed to play a little bit of first base, I think they want to. They have a, a master plan, of course. I think Stearns has his vision, and if this is the way he thinks he can maximize those dollars, you get a somewhat inexpensive corner outfielder who's got a couple of flaws and then maybe you could uh, you know solve some of your first base time that way i think it all fits together in the end and stern's the type of guy to like i said have a plan and to work towards that plan to make that fit
0: in the past he's been able to play the market well to get some one-year deals on guys the market's moving a little bit faster this year do you think there's still going to be those one-year deals to be had with some of these uh some of these veterans eventually
1: yeah, I think there's always guys that are gonna, you know, slip through the, the proverbial cracks. Be that age, performance, you know, whatever their reasoning is, that they may have to take a short term deal. I mean, even Josh Donaldson, I mean, we mentioned him already when he was coming off the couple of injuries filled seasons, he took the one year high average annual value with the Braves, and it really worked out for him. So, you know, there's always guys like that. I think that are going to be available, you know, I don't know if it's called the bargain bin, but you know what I'm saying, like the group of guys that can uh, are in that position to take that kind of a short-term deal, I think those guys are going to exist. So, you know, relief pitcher types, I think that they will always add relief pitching if it's available. Uh, again, maybe even a starting pitcher. I didn't expect Brett Anderson to necessarily be a one-year deal guy after what he did last year. But him, you know, a guy like Rick Porcello, who reportedly had multi-year offers on the table before he took a one-year deal with the Mets, I mean, those guys exist. Um, whether it's reset their value, you know, rehab their image, um, didn't have a great season last year, and want to, and that's all they're offered. And I think there's always going to be that type of player available. So, again, Stearns waits out that kind of part of the market that gets all the multi-year deals. He's able to find somebody to bring in that fits – you know, the rest of what he's got going on around those players. And hopefully, you know, all the pieces fit together to make a, a nice team come opening day.
0: Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal, Drew Pomeranz, Jordan Lyles, the free agents who have left the Brewers. Which one surprises you the most?
1: Huh, that's a good question. Um, I would say... Probably Mustakis, I guess, of those four. Um, Pomeranz, after the way he pitched, um, and especially with the deal that he ended up getting, just did I say you know, Jordan
0: was, Lyles? I'm sorry, I need to. I'm interrupting you, but did I say Jordan Lyles when I did? I don't say Jordan Lyles. So I'm putting him in there as well. Sorry.
1: <laughs> right no, I think I thought I, th- I, th- I thought you said him. But, okay. Um, but, you know, I think I think uh, with Pomeranz getting what he got, it didn't surprise me that much that he would go elsewhere, and that the Brewers wouldn't match it. Uh, again, with even with Musakis getting the fourth year, Grandal getting the fourth year, those are both overpaid, you know, overpays in years, in my opinion. Um, and then, yeah, Jordan Lyles, for whatever reason, the Brewers just don't think he can keep it up. Maybe uh, they liked him enough to bring him back last year, so I don't know why they might not have gone back to him. Um, But, hey, Texas gave him the two years. Bruce probably wanted one year. Uh, You know, keep him going that way. But I think with Moose, he liked playing here as much as he did. He liked the teammates that he's friends with off the field that were here in Milwaukee. He liked his former Royals teammate, Lorenzo Cain. He loved playing with that guy. And, again, some of it can be lip service to the media. You never really know where a guy is at. You can only judge him by what he says. But when All the California strong stuff happened, and Moustakas was talking about how, you know, getting the most money didn't seem like that big of a priority anymore because of what other people were going through, and it kind of gave him some perspective. Um, Maybe not that he didn't have, but it kind of helped shape his perspective a little bit to a a different way. I really thought that, you know, given the Brewers uh, pending hole at third base, if he were to leave town, he seemed like the, uh, the guy in the position to have the Brewers kind of step up, maybe give him that multi-year deal a fourth year if necessary uh just to keep him around based on the way he fit into the clubhouse like i said and based on his production i guess if i'm analyzing it a little bit deeper if the ball does revert to the way it was in 2018 you know those are numbers for moose that you know 60 million a year or whatever it was that he got that you probably wouldn't want to pay him as that much uh but for what he did in 2019 i think i would have been comfortable with that amount and i guess that's the most surprising one to me that uh, Stearns wouldn't pay him that
0: I would have loved to have seen all those guys back, and I, I'm I'm surprised that none of them are. That being said, you look at the contracts. I don't think you can be mad at the Brewers for not. Uh, it's kind of one of those things that if they match the White Sox offer for Grandal and probably go okay, that's a lot of money, but I, I get it. But I completely get why they don't. Same thing, you know, the Mustakis that, that that that's a tough contract to match. That's a lot of money for for what he does, and even as good as he was. Same thing with Drew Pomeranz. Same thing with with Jordan Lyles. Like that's the. I understand why they why they did not match those contracts. Those are those are contracts that have the potential to not look great at the end. The the one thing the White Sox had going with Grandal is clearly he can DH a little bit, so his shelf life might be longer in the American League than it would be in the National League. But all that being said, I I understand why none of those contracts were were matched.
1: Right, I agree, and and yeah, Grandal probably could have played some first base at the end here too, uh, if his legs hold up. But no, I I think that's part of the issue is that, uh, especially with a lot of the fan reaction, is the fans are focused on the next three seasons. In the next three seasons, you have Christian Yelich, for sure, unless of course you trade him for some reason if you want to go full rebuild here. But not this offseason, of course. But I'm saying like, you know, after 2021. Uh, but otherwise, you've got Christian Yelts for at least three more seasons. So that's your window. So go in. If you got to give a guy a fourth year and he's bad in that fourth year, who cares? You know, I've seen a lot of that re- kind of reaction uh, on social media. But, again, you can take the step back, take your fan, half, fan hat off for a second. and I think, it's it, like you said, it is kind of easy to see why they wouldn't want to go those extra years. And I personally, I, I just said this on Twitter before we started to record, uh, maybe within the last hour or so on sunday evening and that i think that the brewers don't want to go new big money longer than three years because they plan on paying christian yelich to keep him as a brewer and that's going to cost a lot of money it's going to cost more than i think most people would want to think that it would cost more than a lot of people think that the brewers would be willing to pay but i think that they want to try to Maximize what they're doing over these next three years uh, before new money for Yelich would kick in. And they may not sign him. You know, he may reject the overtures and go someplace else and yada, yada, yada. That's always a possibility. But the Brewers have to prepare for what they want the plan to be. And I think that that's why they're hesitant to give uh, Grandal the fourth year. I think it was Yasmani himself who said the Brewers were in, they just wouldn't go that extra bit that the White Sox stepped up, I think is how we put it, and they really wanted him, so they gave him that fourth year. I think that's why Mustaka signs super early, is because he got that fourth year that maybe they didn't expect to be offered from a team that has to overpay a little bit to get a guy like Moose to go to Cincinnati, a team that, yes, they've been pitching well, but they're still on the, the come up on the rebuild. I don't think they're there yet. So, you have all these situations where I don't think the Brewers want to go four years like Josh Donaldson. If he's able in this market to get a fourth year, I think that takes the Brewers almost certainly out of contention for him because that's longer than three. So that that's kind of where my head is at, where it feels like they want to prepare for the money to be available to pay Christian Yelich whatever they need to keep him and maximize what they can. You know, they save a little bit of money, swapping out some starting pitchers here with the, the trade, you know, the, the couple of trades that they made, um, letting uh, – Anderson Davies, those guys, go other places. Uh, they save some money. They maybe get similar, hopefully better production. They save a little bit of money on the some of the arbitration-eligible guys in the bullpen that they can maybe replace with league minimum type guys. So you, know, you kind of mix and match it all together, and you hope to be a better team for less money. And, and that's obviously the goal, I think, for any small market team, uh, mid-market team or otherwise, is to try to be better but have it cost less so you can do more. Uh, with the dollars that you need to spend so again it's all kind of a this front office master scheme puzzle thing that has to fit together those are why those guys make millions of dollars in salary to kind of put it all together um but i think that's kind of where the brewers are at with you know that's what i think part of the justification i guess is the way to put it um for what you're saying i think it's easy to see you don't want to overpay and have uh, quote-unquote dead money, or at least unproductive money, in those fourth years uh, for those guys that are getting up there in age. But I think part of it also is, again, the Yelich factor that they have to consider. Yeah, they want to win in his window, but if they're going to keep him here after these next three years are up, then they have to be able to have the payroll flexibility to do that.
0: Yeah, I want to finish you off with this because you kind of allude to it. And, and when you made the comment, you know, if they have to go into a full rebuild, maybe they traded Christian Yelich. And I just... I feel like the basic—we've seen it in baseball. We see it with a lot of—especially for smaller market teams that compete at a high level. We've seen it in Milwaukee previously. Generally, there's a cost that goes along with competing at a high level, and that cost is going through a rebuild period. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if it's plausible. I don't know if it's going to happen. But I get the sense from David Stearns that the goal in Milwaukee, yeah, hes I don't know the exact term he uses, but you know, the idea of having a, a consistent winner. I get the sense that David Stearns, I don't think he has any thoughts of You know, two, three years from now, they may be going through a rebuild, so give bad contracts now. I feel like he's working really hard to turn this into kind of a a program and a system that can compete on a year-in, year-out basis and not have to go through those rebuild periods. Would you agree?
1: I agree 100% with that. I I think Stearns has made it pretty clear that his goal from day one has been to – you know, rebuild it the right way initially, yes, but then to have a consistent pipeline of talent, whether or not you want to talk about the Brewers minor league system currently being down with most of the major publications. Um, But I think his goal is to have a competitive team in Milwaukee and have the minor leagues feeding that team as necessary, you know, not only through promotions, but then through trading guys away like they did to get Christian Yelich, for example, uh, the biggest example. Um, But I think that's absolutely what Stearns wants to do is to have a, a system in place where the Brewers can consistently contend for postseason appearances. You know, this was the first time in franchise history they made the postseason and back to back seasons, and that is, I think, Stearns' ultimate goal, like you said, to have a team, an organization from top to bottom that consistently reloads itself uh, one way or the other. And it's not just this cyclical. Window of competitive baseball that, you know, they'll talk about it. I heard them talking about it on uh, the major, you know, the league uh, radio network on satellite radio the other day, where they were speaking about how every team goes through the competitive cycles where you've got some hopefully core guys that you get through the draft, they're cheap together, and that you can win with that. And they're saying even teams like New York, Boston, you know, the big market teams do that as well, but just that they can. Kind of mask their rebuilds, you know, the ends of their cycles a little bit easier. Make the the lows a little bit higher of a floor uh, by spending money and, and by bringing in veterans and bringing in free agents and doing that kind of a thing. Um, you know, the Yankees had their most recent success with their core four, all developed guys through their system that came up together, won together. And then, yeah, they sprinkled in, you know, some high-priced free agents, you know, A-Rod, Sabathi at the end for the most recent world championship. You know, they're spending a ton of money to, to do that, kind of extend that out and win that extra title. But it's just one example where I think they think that everybody in baseball does this to a degree. But I think, like you said, Stearns' ultimate goal is, despite the payroll limitations, the marketing limitations, the just the overall financial limitations, of being in the market of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, he wants to be consistently competitive, so that the lows aren't as low, the stretches of missing the postseason are not as long, because uh, you know this team, this franchise's this fan base, for as rejuvenated as it has been over the last decade, you can't, you know, you can't suffer through another twenty-five year drought between postseason appearances. That's just not a, a way to have the fan base consistently be there for you and when attendance is such an important part of the payroll and when making the postseason adds so much extra money that you otherwise wouldn't have in your budget you know those kinds of things are are kind of the lifeblood of a smaller market team so like you said uh, and like i agree with uh, like i said 100 uh it's it's got to be that sort of goal in milwaukee and if you can pull it off then you know he's deserving of all the accolades of all the uh, kind of ballyhoo when Mark Enosio hired him in the first place away from Houston. Uh, he will cement that legacy of being one of the best GMs in the sport if he's able to do that in Milwaukee, a place where, as we all know, mistakes of that extra year or giving the wrong guy multi years or giving the wrong guy too much money, those kinds of things can stink you and set you back when you can't just spend your way past those problems
0: he is adam rigg he is known as the brewer nation on twitter adam for folks uh you're a great place to or uh, a good person it's a uh, twitter is obviously a place where uh people can converse with you and talk about things just talk about everything you've got going on right now
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a consistent off-season reaction on Twitter uh, as instantly as possible. Most of the time, I'm I'm pretty on on point with that, at Brewer Nation. Uh, No S there. Just look for the BN logo uh, that I've had a friend of mine cook up. So that's always on uh, 24-7 almost, (laughs) but certainly 365. Uh, always there for reaction. And the blog, uh, which is thebrewernation.com, it it has been dormant uh, for the most part. And especially, I I don't get around to writing a whole lot because to me, when I react to something on Twitter and I react to something on the Facebook page and I react to something in the moment, it feels like I've already reacted to it. So why would I blog about it later? Um, But I do have, especially with all the roster turnover this year. I do plan on firing the blog back up here over the winter now to kind of revitalize the uh, roster preview series that I've done uh, for several years in a row, but haven't done it in the last couple of years. Uh, So we'll be looking, you know, kind of counting down the days to opening day by way of jersey number. So again, as like when 71 days to opening day, uh, we'll preview Josh Hader, assuming he's still on the team. Um, uh, but when we get to eight days away, it will be Ryan Braun. When we get to, you know, well, how, you know, it, it kind of works itself out and explains itself that way. But I do plan on going through the roster, uh, telling you guys how... Uh, where the players are coming from, what they've been doing, what you can expect from them. I think it's going to be an especially useful series this year with, again, as much roster turnover as there has been already and as there stands uh, ready to be here for the rest of the winter. All
0: right, good stuff as always. Thank you for your time, and uh, we look forward to doing this again.
1: All right, Matt, we'll you soon.
0: Adam Rigg joining us here on Brewers X the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that is just about going to do it for uh, this week's edition of the show. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Again, apologies that it came out one day late. We will uh, try to get back on schedule here moving forward. Generally, we take a week or two off around the holidays. I don't even have a calendar in front of me right now to figure out when that's going to uh, when that's going to be. But that's not going to be this upcoming weekend. I would not believe. Maybe it will. I don't know. Uh, so I don't know for sure if we'll be talking uh, this upcoming Sunday or not or if we're going to take this upcoming uh, week off or next couple weeks off before we do uh, return to uh, the podcast. But either way, we'll be back sooner than later. If we do not talk prior to the new year, have yourself uh, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, whatever you might happen to uh, celebrate at this time of the year. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy time with friends and family and everything that this time of the year is all about. And we look forward to talking to you again real soon for another edition of Brewers Extra Needs the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For
1: all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.